welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast are Falmouth Commodores manager and gunnery head baseball coach Jeff Trundy, San Francisco Giants national cross checker Brian Bridges, and Lake County manager Greg Desenzo. Coach Trundy's heading into his 25th season coaching the Cape Cod League and his 21st as the manager of the Falmouth Commodores. He's coached a laundry list of big leaguers including David Ardsma, Luke Scott, Reese Hoskins, Kyle Gibson, Cliff Pennington, Khalil Green, Jacoby Ellsbury, and current Rays manager Kevin Cash. Coach Trundy's made a huge impact on the game of baseball with the players he's coached and the coaches he's had on his staff at Falmouth. Brian Bridges has been with San Francisco Giants since 2019. Before that, he was the scouting director for the Atlanta Braves. He and I were on Coach Trundy's staff in the summers of 99 and 2000. Brian was coaching at Florida Southern at the time and was hired as an area scout after that summer. Greg Desenzo is currently managing Lake County in the Indians organization. Prior to that, he had a successful 12-year run as head coach at Holy Cross and as an assistant at Northeastern. Coach Desenzo was on Coach Trundy's staff at Falmouth from 2002 to 2005. This episode is on leading a life of impact. We'll also show you how many different paths there are available in that impacting the game of baseball. Let's welcome Jeff Trindy, Brian Bridges, and Greg Desenzo to the podcast. Here with Jeff Trundy, 25th season coaching in the Cape, 21st uh, overall as the manager at Falmouth. I can't believe I just said that. Baseball coach and teacher at the Gunnery Prep in Washington, Connecticut. Greg Desenzo, manager of Lake County Indians organization, 12 years at Holy Cross, was an assistant at Northeastern. Also a three-sport athlete at St. Lawrence, uh, football, soccer, and baseball. And then Brian Bridges, cross-checker with the Giants, scouting director with the Braves. But Greg actually coached with, with Jeff uh, after Brian and I did uh, with, with Jeff at Falmouth. So I appreciate you three uh, for jumping on with me. Thanks for having us. Great to have you. All right, Coach Trendy, why don't we start with you, and then we'll go to Brian and then Greg. Can you guys just talk a little bit about your path in the game and then maybe some mentors along the way that, that helped you guys? Uh, <laughs> well, I grew up loving the game and really felt that I wanted to be a part of it for a long time, and that's happened. 
and uh, feel very, very fortunate to have done so. And uh, what you find, I think, as the years go along is what's important is, is what I'm doing right now, is being around the people that uh, have become a significant part of your life. And uh, you three guys are, have been certainly that. And so that's what you feel fortunate about. And by the way, I wanted Brian and, and Greg to jump on because I know Jeff doesn't like talking about himself very much. So I, I needed these two as backups to, to fill in the gaps because Coach Trendy does not like talking about himself. Yeah. You know me well. <laughs> Brian, what do you got? All right, real quick. Um, I started out, you know, coaching it with uh, Eddie Cartieri at University of South Florida. Kevin O'Sullivan, who's now at Florida, called me up to go to the Cape. In 97, the summer of 97 was my first. Um, he's definitely been an influence in my in my life. You know, definitely when he coached after he coached me in junior college, right out of college for him. So he wasn't too far removed from college. But you could always tell the leadership qualities that he had and the baseball mind. Um, then moved on from two years at at uh, Bourne and then went with Jeff for two years. And Jeff definitely made an impact in my life. Uh, call him the Mike Hargrove of the Cape. Uh, kind of manages that way. Treats the kids the way they're supposed to be treated. Demands a lot of respect out of them. Expects them to take care of their own business. He doesn't browbeat them, lets them play the game. And I think it's over the course of time and his management, you can kind of see they're always in it at the end because you know, kids nowadays and definitely in the summer, everything's so controlled that when they get with him that uh, they can kind of be themselves and we can kind of find out the players that they are. And I know he's impacted a lot of players along the way. But after that, Donnie Rowland, who's the international director for the Yankees and has been highly successful is all you got to do is watch the Yankees and all those Latin players are his. But he gave me my first shot in 2000, become an area scout and move to the upper Midwest where I met Ryan's dad. It was very much so an influence in my life and his family as well. So it's kind of like, I always say this, and I've told Jeff this a hundred times, could always not talk for a year and you guys know it as well as anybody and pick up the phone and then just pick up where you left off. It's little, little rings, little circles along the way. And, you know, scouting career took off and it was all about the base that I had in the Cape and the quality of the players that I was around that, you know, you learn a lot if you just listen to people. And, you know, it's just so important that the coaches in, in our country, including Jeff and the fact that Ryan's taking the time to, you know, honor Jeff in this way and, and have us on here to talk about him because Ryan did say he doesn't talk about himself. You can barely get him to say anything nice about himself, but, uh, I'm honored to be on here with you guys. And, you know, we've all been on that same field there at Falmouth. And it's been a lot of years. I can't believe this is 25, though. But there you have it. Greg, what do you got? <clears throat> well, I mean, I'll start from, you know, growing up, my dad pushed me really hard uh, on the field, whether it be basketball or baseball or soccer, whatever it was. And at the end of the day, when, you know, growing up in high school, he <clears throat> he was going through a couple of different jobs. And at the end of the day, he just told me, I remember one night specifically, he just said, do what you love to do. Don't do anything based upon the money 
or the monetary value associated with that particular occupation or job, do something that you love to do. And I went off to school and wound up playing and I had some extra years of eligibility in football and I wound up coaching because I was able to, it was a grad assistant program. So I was like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll chip away at a master's degree and um, I'll coach while I, you know, still get to play football. And before you know it, my head coach in college, who was also an assistant football coach, head baseball coach, Tom Fay, um, really just an a unbelievable gentleman and really super knowledgeable person uh, in Division Three baseball in, in the Northeast region. And um, again, I had an opportunity to play for him, coach with him, uh, be led by him. Uh, and then went to Falmouth and it only got better with Coach Trundy. I mean, I've told him that I love him a hundred times over. And, uh, you know, those those three people, from my dad to Tife to, to Jeff Trundy, if I could, you know, if I could replicate anything that they've done, you know, on the field and in the dugout, it'd be a successful career for me. So oftentimes I find myself throughout the course of the game, what, you know, what the heck would, what the heck would Trundy do right here? Usually it's probably like go water the field or something or, you know, start mowing the grass in the infield. But um, there's two favorite things to do at Gulf Florida Field in Falmouth. Uh, those two, those, those three guys have been super influential to me. And like I said, I wake up every day, really feel blessed that I have a, you know, a great job that I work with unbelievable people, uh, work in an unbelievable organization, the Cleveland Indians. And, and again, I think you know, we, we are, very similar in our tenants and values here with the tribe uh, as Coach Trundy is and, and Coach Bay were. Yeah, I mean, at loose math, there's almost 100 years worth of baseball experience right here. And go, we'll stay the same around the horn here, same rotation. Is it dumb luck finding the right mentors? I mean, I, I think a lot, all of us kind of lucked into our situations and, and, can you find the right mentors or is there some luck involved with it for a young coach, especially listening in right now, how do you surround yourself with the right people? Coach Trendy first. Well, I think there is a lot of luck with that, Ryan. And, uh, you know, uh, I had coached obviously for quite a while, even before I got to the Cape. Uh, but then, uh, to be surrounded with three guys that meant so much to me in that experience, um, Ryan and, and Bo were part of the first staff. Uh, well, even before that, with Mike Coots and Harvey Shapiro, I mean, you you were surrounded by really good Cape League managers. Yes, I was. And, uh, you know, I'd known those people before and uh, had actually coached Mike, believe it or not, in Maine. Um, you know, so I always had this favorite expression, baseball shrinks the world. And... Uh, you know, I just think it's amazing how you keep crossing paths with people that, uh, you know, one way or another, uh, you've got to know because of the game. And uh, every day that I coach, I feel more fortunate for the relationships that have been formed. And, uh, you know, I don't even know if I could list all the people that have mentored me. All I know is that I've been really fortunate to be around, around a lot of great people. And uh, I'm sitting with three right now. And, uh you know, it's just, it's just awesome when I think back to being able to have done what I've done and 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 uh, be so fortunate. I'm blessed. Thank you, Bo. Yeah, I would say you know just 
you know, the one thing for a young coach is it's kind of Greg hit on it. Do what you love. But the most important thing is put your head down, take care of every day, learn, have your ears open. Have we been fortunate? Absolutely. We've been fortunate. But I think to put yourself in a fortunate situation, whatever situation you're in is the big leagues at that time. So you have to take it. You have to grab a hold of it and make the most of it because your career is only on your last name and the amount of work you put into a current situation will only propel you to be around like people like yourself. Does that make sense? So, well, yeah, no, nobody told us we should stay till midnight working on the field at Falmouth after games. No, nobody told me to show up two weeks early to spray the clover off our infield. I had never seen anything like that before. The amount of clover that was on our infield grass at Falmouth. Nobody told us to do that. We just felt like we should do that. Right. We all just showed up and and took the bull by the horns. I think, you know, for lack of a better cliche, that we just worked our tail off. And having someone like Jeff is, you know, he talks to college coaches all the time and he talks to other coaches. It just gives everybody the opportunity. Hey, these guys just work their tail off. And a lot of people. There's so many people that feel like they're entitled to things nowadays. They think they can go from point A to D, and that's not how it works. If you want to build your resume, you go A, B, C, and then hopefully you get the opportunity at D, and you can't look back then because you've had a foundation, you know, with people you've met along the way to build that kind of, you know, resume for yourself. Well, and that's why I try to stress too. You can't skip those steps. Like I, we, and we all wanted to as young coaches. Everybody wants to skip those steps, but you can't because at some point you're going to probably get let go because you've tried to skip some steps and rush the process. You can't do it. You can't rush the process. No, and I always tell people all the time: always impact as many people as you can, and definitely in my business, anytime you can yeah. help, help. Because no matter how, how high you get in any job or anything, you're going to get fired in this sport. I mean, it's going to happen. But you better have been a good person along the way that someone can catch you when you fall. Or if not, you'll be out of the game. And I think those steps, like we were talking about, if you try to jump from step A to step B, you're stepping over people at that point. And it might be a person that could catch you on your way back down. Greg, what do you got? Right, I think the the initial question was like, is is it dumb luck that you surround yourself with with such great people? Um, you know, and, and maybe there is a little bit of luck to it, but I think if you do your homework and you ask the right questions as a as a young coach or an older coach like myself, I think you know you find yourself more often than not surrounded by people that have, again, as I stated earlier, the same tenets and values that you do and things that you care about are, are similar to, to the people that are working to the right and left of you. And, you know, for me, going to Falmouth, you know, there, there's nine other teams in the Cape and nine great coaches, and I know a lot of them. Um, but, you know, Coach Charlie's reputation spoke for itself, and, and it really matched up with who I was. And then, you know, I went from Falmouth that really helped propel me to a job at Northeastern University. And I coached with Neil McPhee for five years there and learned a lot. And he put a lot on my plate and I got to really experience what it was like to be a, whatever, a 24, 25 year old top assistant, helping to run the program, running the pitching staff, doing a lot of things that <clears throat> running practices. I mean, he put a lot on my plate and I, I'm super appreciative for that. 
And then, you know, when you leave Northeastern, it's, you know, to, for your next opportunity, it was at Holy Cross. And again, surrounded by just fantastic people, fantastic kids. Um, every day was the most important day. You know, the next day was the most important day of, of your career for 13 straight, 12 plus years, whatever it was. And then, you know, the Cleveland Indians, you know, again, there's 30 teams in Major League Baseball, whatever it is. And, you know, 29 other fantastic organizations that do things, you know, that, that are unique in and of themselves. And, and for me personally, it was finding the one that, you know, really was about learning and teaching and uh, valuing the individual and, and recognizing how important the player on the front of the baseball card is as it relates to the numbers on the back. And, you know, for me, that was it was really congruent with who I was as a person. So I, I, yeah, maybe there's some luck to it, but at the end of the day, uh, ask the right questions and, and do your homework and be patient uh, and diligent in your work ethic. And at the end of the day, I think you'll surround yourself. Like I said, to the person right and left of you in the clubhouse that uh, are very similar to who you are. Coach Trendy, do you have to have future big leaguers on your roster to do well in a Cape league season? And, and how much does injury do injuries play into it as well? No, you don't. I don't think there's any question that you do not. Uh, you know, you want to see kids be future big leaguers. Uh, you know, you certainly hope that for them. Uh, you know, you're glad that you're part of their journey and that you hope you're able to let them improve every day and showcase their skills and make it a format where, uh, you know, they're going to be able to have a career that they dream of. Uh, you know, but if you don't have one big leaguer, uh, believe me, it's all worth it. And, uh, you know, the relationships you form once again, you know, it, it, the relationship word seems to be pretty big today. And uh, as we talk here, and I think that's what it comes down to. And the relationships that I've formed with some of these kids, uh, you know, you, you still stay in touch. Um, and you go through box scores, uh, you know, when you see them playing, whether it be at the college level or the pro level. And you have a smile on your face because you know they're doing what they love. But then you have other kids. I mean, I, you know, I always think of a Mark Hamilton. You know, Mark Hamilton became a doctor and was thrown into the COVID situation in New York City. Uh, you know, he was a kid that was a great player at Tulane and had a pro career and all of a sudden decided to pursue his medical career and, uh, you know, was thrown into the fire in New York City during the midst of the the epidemic, uh, you know, so it's, it's meeting people and it's, it's having people that, uh, you hope you impact their life, but you know, they impact yours as well. But what do you got? You've been covering the Cape forever as a scout. I mean, what's your take on that? Do you have to have premium talent to, to finish at the end there? You know, I, I think it's about the team. It's how the team molds itself. Every year there's a different team and, different personalities and you know those kids are all thrown in to a 42 game race right out of the gate and it's how that team molds I mean I can remember Jeff what year it was that USA Baseball took all our players and we ended up with a future manager that's managed in the World Series and Kevin Cash and I mean you know but it, it's it's all a testament to head coaches and I think the Cape League and Greg touched on it. There are good head coaches and, and Jeff has just a way of touching players and kids. And I think that 
you know, it's the manager that can get those kids together as a team. The quickest seems to be in the race at the end. Anything can happen, you know, because it's such a long grind for 42 games. But I don't think necessarily you got to have the top talent, no. You know, and Greg, you were there after us, and you guys, I think you played for a for in the championship series after Bo and I were there. I mean, wh- what about that team that was special? I think we had that particular – I mean, we had, we were super talented. We did have a lot of future big leaguers on that team, to be quite frank. So, um, <laughs> well, hey, I, I mean, I do want to go down the list here of guys that Jeff has coached. I mean, Nick Martini, Billy Moles, a great college baseball coach, Darren Ruff, Adley Rushman – Luke Scott, TJ Sikama, Brady Singer, Vince Sinisi, David Ardsma, Brian Bogusevich, Alec Bohm, Dallas Buck, Kevin Cash, Aaron Crow, Ross Detweiler, Jacoby Ellsbury, Kyle Gibson, Connor Gillespie, Marco Gonzalez, Khalil Green, uh, Chris Harvey, Reese Hoskins, Spencer Keyboom, and uh, Brett Wallace. So, I mean, there's been some pretty good big leaguers that, that Jeff has touched and also uh, good coaches and people and Jeff, I was going to ask you that too. I mean, do you Real feel quick, right? Sorry, with all those names, how the hell has Trundy not won it yet? <laughs> <laughs> it's That's coming. Everyone's waiting for that question. It's it's well, it just shows you it's, okay. it's 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 like winning a World Series. It's not the easiest thing to do. Everybody has good players, and, and there's and, only ten teams, right? I know, but seen. still, like. <laughs> You think about the amount of it's twenty five percent of you know of college players that are on big league rosters played in the Cape. It's twenty five percent, so it's a lot. I mean, so you're you're seeing big leaguers day in and day out, and I think a lot of it has to do with keeping teams healthy too. I mean, that I think that was Khalil's freshman year where we were down to nine position players at the end of the year. and And poor Khalil fell out at at breakfast because he was eating only protein. And fell out and still played. I mean, but I think it just goes to show you, it, there's a guy that didn't hit 100 in the Cape, but was a really good big leaguer. So sometimes those numbers up there are a little bit skewed because you're facing other guys that are probably going to play in the big leagues. Right. I would, I would just say to, to, that, to the question you initially asked, like, what does it take? Big leaguers, yes. Obviously, talent matters. But, you know, as you, as you get closer to August 1st and guys recognize when they're going back to school, it's the... It, to me, it's always been the teams that want to be there and the players that enjoy being around each other. And I think it starts at the top. When you enjoy being around, when you come to the yard every day and you see Coach Trendy at the field, there's a coming presence of showing up at the yard every day. And I think that matters. So, you know, when, when you're in that, that last two-week stretch of summer before guys have maybe three or four days before they – maybe no days. They might be going from Falmouth at Gov Fuller in their truck or their car driving right to campus, you know, for classes, Um, no summer break at all. It's the guys that really are bummed out that they're leaving Falmouth. Those teams tend to do really well. And and for that particular team you referenced, like we had Cliff Pennington, Jacoby, Mark Hamilton. We had a lot of, uh, I don't think ours was on that team. We had a a lot of Chris LaRue who pitched in the big leagues. We had a lot of really good players on that team. Um, they wanted to be there. I mean, I remember Cliff Pennington, coach will remember this. Cliff, Cliffy got hurt maybe in the semifinal round of the, of the playoffs and asked if he could stay through the finals to support his teammates because he didn't want to leave. He had put all that work in all summer long and, and you know, bled Commodore Maroon and, and White and wanted to stay there. And I thought, to me, you can fill a roster of players that are dying to be there. Um, 
you're going to be pretty good, whether you're a big leaguer or not. Well, and doesn't that go into the fact that they're going to be able to get through a minor league season then too, because they're going to deal with the same thing, trying to get through a minor league season to get there. It's not like you go from college to the big league. Some guys do it, but that shows that grit and that resilience that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work through this and, and try to stick things out. I mean, Jeff, is that what you see out of those guys? The guys that really have made it and have made a career out of this, is that resiliency the thing that separates the ones that make it and the ones that don't? Yeah, I don't think there's any question of that. I mean, um, you know, you see the kids and you feel thankful when you have them, but you, you see the kids that, you know, show up every day and can't wait to get to the yard and, uh, and, and go to work and get better, but also have a great time being around their teammates. Uh, you know, I think, you know, you, you got about a two month period to have kids be together on the Cape and, um, to be honest, I'm always a little bit astonished at, at how great uh, a teammates they become in that short amount of time. You know, uh, like Greg kind of alluded to, these kids don't want to leave each other at the end of the summer. And uh, I think if you can foster that type of feeling, uh, that's something that will carry carry over into their professional career. Uh, you know, I, I know uh, both Bo and Greg can probably speak to the fact that uh, being a teammate at their level is certainly significant. And uh, I think when you're a teammate and you're worried about what everybody else is doing and you're trying to help them, you play better. And uh, I think that's one of the things that we always talk about is that if you don't focus on yourself and you focus on the team and you try to do things that are going to win a baseball game for the team, not only are you going to play better, but you're going to have a great time doing it. And, uh, you know, it eases some of the pressure of the summer. Because let's face it, you know, these kids, they want to showcase their skills. They know what's at stake. But I think you have to diffuse that a little bit and, uh, you know, make it a genuine experience where they, they learn that uh, being a great teammate is really, really important. But what about for you? I mean, you've drafted a ton of big leaguers. I mean, what, what is the difference for you, the separator? You've drafted a lot of big league guys. What's the separator? It's exactly everything Jeff touched on. I mean, when even the high school kids, they're just driven a dip. They have different gears, man. They're wired different. different. They're wired different. And again, my experiences on the Cape, being around those type of players, there's things you look for because of the history and the log of players that you've had that when you see it, no matter what age they are, I mean, Jeff hit on all of it. I mean, they just can't get enough of it, whether, you know, they're out there shagging balls like they're in the next center fielder and he's a right-handed pitcher, that you know, and you're like, man, don't get hurt. You know, what are you doing? But they enjoy being at the ballpark. They get the most out of it. They can deal with adversity and change things on the fly. And I think seeing pitchers or position players that go up there within and a bat and change their, you know, the way that they're being attacked, the next at bat, they make the adjustments within the at bat to, you know, fight. And I mean, it's a fight, you know, there's no other way. I mean, it's the pitcher and the hitter and, you know, everybody's got to be locked in, but you're, you're looking for those common, you know, bridges to get them to their ability that, you know, it's so I, again, being around Jeff and being around Cape, it gave me that kind of opportunity a, to be on the field and CT players across the field. I mean, how many times did we get beat by uh, who was a kid from LSU that played at uh, 
Fontenot uh, and Terrio were there the, the second year we were the there. Just the left-handed hitter. I can't remember, Jeff. You remember his name? Uh, well, Lance Necro and Teixeira would trade off that first summer at Orleans. <laughs> they One would yeah. play first and one would play third, and I was like, oh, man, I don't know. We, they got some different-looking players over in that dugout than we got. <laughs> right, and a lot of it, too. I mean, you look at players and you go, okay, he looks different. You know, some of them, you know, you just go by the way they look and then you're kind of drawn to them and, and – uh, you know, it was crazy. I'm trying to think of that guy's name, but he always, always, always at some point during the game would strike us. And I can't remember his name, but the Rockies took talking him. about too. Come the Rockies on. took him about the third round, left-handed hitter. Yeah. And yeah, uh, he used to get us. But, again, those guys just grind the game. And you don't want to see them come up in the ninth or you don't want to see them out there in the ninth after they've thrown eight innings because – they find another gear. They're going to finish you one way or another. And uh, they're just winning players. And, and you know, Greg hit on it. I mean, I, Jeff, I, I, at the end of the year when you're in it, I think I watch that more than I do our big league box scores to see if you won every day. Because I do want you to win one. I think you're one of the best people I've ever been around. And uh, I really pull for you, I, you know. I generally have love in my heart for you as a person and I care about you every day, your family, yourself. And it's, it's something that you've impacted me a lot more than you will ever know. Jeff. Hey, Jeff, what's it been like coaching players, uh, you know, of sons of guys that you coached with? I mean, Bo's one of them. Mike Coots is one of them. I mean, what's it like coaching players that are sons of guys that you coached with well it's an honor but it also means i'm getting pretty doggone old uh you know and that's hard to that's sometimes hard to acknowledge but uh you know i want to thank both for the kind words and you know i think again uh i've been so fortunate you know and uh to be able to be around so many people that have meant so much to me and uh and still do and um you know, it's almost impossible for me to stay in touch with everybody that I know. But I, I think I think Bo said it, you know, early on, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you might not talk to somebody for a while and then all of a sudden you're on the phone and it's like you haven't skipped a beat. And it was like yesterday that you were talking with them. And, uh, you know, I uh, like I said, it's 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 pretty special to be able to have done something that you love for as long as I've done it. And, uh, you know. I hope to continue for a while, but uh, I know the all journeys come to an end. But I, uh, you know, I've really been fortunate. What about Chuck Sturdivant? I mean, and and for people that don't know, this is how much the baseball community thinks of Jeff. He uh, one year at Falmouth, they weren't going to renew his contract, so the baseball community basically boycotted. Saying, <laughs> I did. I, I was at Iowa at the time. I was like, I will never send another player to Falmouth. Kirk Jackson was in that group. We, we basically boycotted, and then they figured out that maybe they should probably renew Jeff's contract. So he might be the only guy in the history of the baseball world that didn't get renewed but then got renewed because the baseball community threw such a fit. But what about Chuck, Jeff? Oh, Chuck is just – he's a special man. You know, he's, he's devoted his life essentially to the Cape League. Uh, and, you know, he's devoted his life for the right reasons, uh, to help kids, to give kids an opportunity. And, uh, 
you know, each of these kids comes in and they have a great opportunity presented to them by people that work year round, that work 365 days a year. And Chuck's done that for, I don't know how many years, you know, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a legend and, you know, he personifies, I think what the Cape league is all about, uh, from that level. And, uh, you know, he's done everything and anything that he could do to make the experience better for kids. And, uh, he just adores the game, but, but first and foremost, he, he loves the kids and, uh, you know, that shows, I think, in everything that he does. Greg, back to you now. You know, you were at Holy Cross for 12 years. You poured your heart and soul into it. Talk a little bit about the transition going from college to the pro side now. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> my first season was the, the COVID season. So I've really had basically a, you know, year and a half, 15-month onboarding. So it's probably the longest onboarding process of any coach in, in history. Uh, but I think if it was going to come and, and it was going to be a season that was halted, obviously we all wanted to be in the dugout um, and on the field. But it was probably for me personally, as as I was transitioning into to that type of setting, uh, it was probably pretty good that I was able to really learn, you know, how the Cleveland Indians work and, and what the intricacies of, of our particular organization versus others and um, got to know a lot more people uh, within the walls of our building. So um, it's been, it's been, it's different, but it's, I, I absolutely love it. And I think, again, the relationships that you're able to still build and foster <clears throat> are the same. And I think in talking to a lot of former players in the Cape, um, and a lot of former players at Holy Cross that played professional baseball, I, I, I did a lot of homework and a lot of legwork before leaving Holy Cross to say, you know, is this the right decision for me and ask the right questions. And, you know, at the end of the day, talking to, a, a, <clears throat> again, I, I probably talked to 40 to 50 from players to coaches. What do you think? What are your thoughts, positives and negatives? And at the end of the day, they said is, you know, to, to be yourself uh, and to let the players know that you care and to treat them, you know, the way that you've always treated players and that that shouldn't change. And if you can still do that and you feel that you can still do that and the Indians want you to, to still coach that way, then, you can be super impactful even at the professional level. That the numbers in the back, yes, they matter, um, but the, that person on the front of that baseball card matters even more. And I think you'll you'll see those numbers on the back uh, pop off the page maybe a little bit more when they know that they're valued as a as a person first. And just to quickly rise circle back to the when Coach Trundy, you know, maybe wasn't coming back to Falmouth. Again, I, I unloaded text messages to players, coaches. Um, anyone who had met Coach Trumby, whether they played for him, coached against him, coached with him, you know, if, if they had come across him at, at some point, you know, I reached out to them and we had guys that were in the midst of a 162 game season in professional baseball who were super busy, um, multimillionaires who were taking time out of their day to write letters and send text messages. And it just shows you how much. Uh, people love him and how impactful he's been. So, and Greg, back, back up. I know it's it's different, but is it similar then what you're doing now to summer baseball because you're coaching guys that you haven't recruited? Even though I haven't done it, it seems like that would be the difference. You know, from the college level, is you might spend two or three or four years recruiting kids before they show up, so you have a little bit of a relationship built. Is it similar in that so, way? Yeah, I, I would say it's it's. Uh, it's, it's similar in that um, you're right. The, the relationships that you're, the relationships that you've, 
developed in the college setting have started their sophomore, junior year in high school. So by the time they come there, you know, a lot of times they are coming to that school, yes, for the educational opportunities that are going to present themselves when their baseball career is over, but they get to know who you are, you know, as, as a coach too. And they're, they're dying to, you know, you hope they're ready to buckle it up and, and get their hands dirty to play for you. They're excited to play for you and your staff, um, coupled with the logo on that Jersey in Cleveland. They, they, they don't, they're not, they're not in the Indians organization. And, and if they had a chance to be, they, they certainly wouldn't be there because of me. That's a fact. So, um, you know, I think you're right. It, I, I think taking the time in spring training um, and taking the time in our fall instructional program to really get to know the guys and reach out and send text message and set up calls and did a lot of legwork and a lot of homework, you know, basically similar to recruiting in college. I was doing the same thing at the professional level just to get to know these guys, even if they weren't going to be, you know, in Lake County per se in high A, they might be in double A in Akron or, you know, they might be in low A in Lynchburg, but um Regardless, I, I always felt it was important to continue to develop those relationships. And, and Bo, you know, leaving the coaching side, because you're at Florida Southern, and, and then going to the scouting side, I mean, was there ever that tinge of still being on the field? I know you've done stuff on the field with East Coast Pro and, and some of that, so you're still getting some coaching in, but talk a little bit about the differences going from college coaching to then scouting. Well, it was really scary. I, you know, I talked to a lot of people, too, just like Greg and I, you know, it's a total career change and it's like being out of that where you can get to impact kids. But, you know, and I'd even talk to Jeff about it and he said, Hey, you got so much to give that, you know, you might be able to, you know, give more now being able to scout kids and do a lot more for players on that side of the fence. And to be quite honest with you, as soon as I went on that side of the fence, I realized how bad of a coach I was on the other side of the fence because all the mistakes. I hey, made. now you're one of the best. You're one of the smartest baseball guys I've ever been around. So you need to give yourself more credit. <laughs> I mean, you do make mistakes, but it, you know it's the willingness to learn from them and and being in the dugout with Jeff and and then going on the pro side and then being around guys like Randy Engel who managed 40 years in the Braves organization and. And being around those guys, you know, I've been very fortunate uh, as far as, you know, where my career has gone after the Cape and Florida Southern. And, but, you know, you don't have to be, you know, uh, there's other ways to impact the game. And I think once I got comfortable in this job, I still miss the BP. I still miss the fungos. I still miss being in the dugout all the time. And from time to time, I still miss it even more. But I think where I'm at now and things that I've done for players, both calling Jeff and recommendations about guys in the cave to, you know, signing seniors and giving them opportunities to making millionaires out of some kids and, and watching them develop both as, players and people has really impacted me personally because, Hey, let's all, we didn't get into this job for the money. And that's the one thing, you know, now college baseball is at a point where I think it should be because a lot of those guys that are making that money, I know where they came from. So, you know, it's a humbling job. And I think both on the scouting side and the coaching, but we're driven by the successes of the players. 
Jeff, do you enjoy the back and forth? I mean, you go to the Cape for the summer, then you go back to the gunnery. Do you, do you enjoy go, doing the back and forth? Uh, I hate moving, uh, but <laughs> I don't even like packing a suitcase. But, uh, but you know, as far as living in both worlds, yeah, I really enjoy it. You know, I, uh, I love being around the younger players that we have here and the students. And, uh, you know, they make my day. Uh, just like the kids on the Cape, I know are going to make my day in a few weeks. And, uh, you know, that's what I look forward to. I look forward to being around them, just like I look forward to being around the, the students and the young people here. Are you still uh, coaching soccer? No, no. <laughs> Desenzo, no comment. <laughs> Jeff, do you feel like you've made a bigger impact on the game with the players you've coached or the coaches that you've, you've coached along the way. Cause I mean, the three of us, obviously, and I, I exclude myself out of that, but Kerry Jackson, Brad Stoll. I mean, look at the amount of guys that have been on your staff that are making huge impacts on the game of baseball. Do you feel like it's been more on the player side or the, the coaches that you've mentored? Honestly, and I'm not saying this as some cliche or something. I, I, I really don't look at myself as having, made an impact on anyone. I think I'm really happy. Uh, I'm ecstatic for the people that are, are able to continue to do something with the game and do things that they love. Uh, you know, we've had so many people that I've worked with, uh, you know, and again, you know, three guys here that I absolutely love who are doing something, you know, that they want to do and, and that they have a passion doing. And, and that's what I feel really, really happy about. And, uh, you know, to be able to, to think of all the, the coaches that I've coached with on the Cape and, and uh, you know, see them have success at doing so many different things um, within the game. Uh, it's a pretty awesome feeling. I didn't realize it, it is Arnie Allen Field now. And, you know, and that's amazing. I talk about it person that impacted the game in his own special way for anybody that doesn't know who Arnie Allen was. Um, he was a ballpark person and I had grown up in Evansville. We had a ballpark person at Bossy Field, Marvin Gray, uh, who would just show up at the ballpark and wanted to be around it, but wore a uniform. And I think that was one of the things that made Falmouth unique is a guy like him that would, would show up every day that was a ballpark person that was just a, a unbelievable person. Do you want to talk about Arnie a little bit, Coach? Uh, yeah, phenomenal. Just phenomenal. I mean, the, the guy was just, uh, you know, Greg made the statement earlier about bleeding maroon and white. You know, Arnie, Arnie lost a, a quart of blood every day before a game. I mean, he was just, just a phenomenal person. He just adored the Commodores and, and the Commodores adored him, you know, and, you know, the players would come in and within just a short amount of time, you know, they all fell in love with him. And, uh, you know, I, I feel bad that the players that we have now never got to know him. And, uh, you know, for people that don't know, you know, Arnie passed away years ago and, you know, it was very, very sad, but, uh, I think he lived a really full life in regards to being able to to be a part of the Commodores, and and that was what he wanted to do. And he he really really uh, just 
made the most of each and every day, each summer. He couldn't wait for the summer to start, and he lived it to the fullest. Well, and Ron Braga was another guy. He was running concessions when we were all up there, and I, I lived with him with my my. She wasn't my wife at the time with Amy, but. He had a Bobby Orr uh, hockey stick that he just left in the corner. And my wife, I, I love her to death, but she doesn't know much about sports. So he comes home one night and she's got that hockey stick out and is messing around with it. And I was like, okay, this is it. We're going to get kicked out of the out of the house. <laughs> Ron's going to have enough of us being in the house. So um, there's another guy that made it unique. And, you know, that was a guy that would hang out with Bo and I after the games and help us work on the field as he was scrubbing down the, the grill equipment and <laughs> – uh, just made for a, a, an awesome summer. Very unique people. It's great. Yeah, Greg, you have anything to add on that? No, but I, <clears throat> I do remember Arnie, you know, one of the last years. So I was in Falmouth four summers, 0, 2, 3, 2, 3, 4, and 5. <clears throat> and uh, we had Yancey Ayers and Chris Forbes. I mean, we had some Eddie Lowe's and we had Mike Grant. We had some an all-star cast of coaches, too. We're some of my best friends to this day. And uh, – I remember one of the last years, Arnie, I don't know if he had, you know, hadn't been feeling well or what had have you. He was, you know, on a downturn, but he used to ride his bike to the field every day. And after one game, I remember, you know, asking him if, if he wanted to ride home because it was dark or it was cold. It was one of those early June nights. I'm like, Arnie, you want to ride home, you know, tonight? And he's, you know, in his high pitched voice, he's like, yeah, that'd be nice. And I threw his bike in my, in my trunk and, Drove him home, I don't know how many miles, a couple of miles down the road. And next night, beautiful night, 80 degrees, beautiful. After the game, I walk out into the right field. His bike's in my trunk. He, he caught my trunk and threw his bike in my trunk. And for the rest of the summer, I guess I was driving Arnie home after every game, which which was great. But it was just the type of person who's very loving. And, you know, every now and again, we throw his bike in the back of Coach Trony's old white pickup truck, and you know whoever had Arnie's bike in the back was was driving him home that night, which was great. And it was usually the best five minutes of your day because he would break down the game for you and tell you all the things you did wrong. He obviously did nothing right. You could win ten nothing shutout and no hit the other team, and he'd tell you how terrible you are and that we got to do better and you know we should be better and you leave there going wow, got a lot of work to do tomorrow. So. Bo, back to you. The lack of hitting at the big league level is a hot button topic right now. Is there a way to fix this, or is the pitching too good? I mean, I, we just list, listed off a, a group of pretty good hitters that played for Coach Trendy at Falmouth. Is there a way to fix what's going on right now? Yeah, forget about hitting them in the seats and start making a lot more contact. <laughs> Keeping the barrel in the zone a little bit longer would make it a lot easier. I mean... Pitchers are attacking it. Everybody's swinging uphill. They're throwing at the top of the zone. I mean, it's not hard to fix. He, I mean, there's a lot of guys that play it that are, you know, one of them, Chipper Jones. I mean, he's tried to backspin balls through the fence. I mean, I guess he's a pretty good hitter. I mean, you know, but, I mean, the league average is 239, which is kind of embarrassing, um, to say the least. And uh, it's a very, very – concerning place because guys hitting 239 15 years ago and Jeff and Greg and everybody can include yourself Ryan you would say ah, this guy's either going back to the minor leagues or he's going to be uh, designated for assignment he's not going to play long and uh, you know they didn't normally give him a lot of 
leeway, but now it's an accepted thing. And, you know, I know being in the dugout, the last thing you want is a guy on third with less than two outs and you get a punch out. I mean, you get no opportunity to score a run. You know, I don't think, uh, you know, I'd like to see the small game come back. I would like to see guys bunt. I would like to see guys bunt into the shift, no matter who they are. Move the line a little bit more, score some runs. Some guys steal some bases. Uh, I like to add a little bit more excitement back in the game. And I think even at the collegiate level, I've gone to college games now, and they're sitting around waiting on the home run as well. So I don't know. I, you know, I think we just, you know, baseball has a way of correcting itself. It always has. And it always comes think. back. Well, and then, you know, Greg and yeah. I both know Justin Toole, who's on the big league staff. He sent me a, a video that Indians safety squeezed the other night. So I, I think it's starting to come back. You're starting to see more safety squeezes lately. You're starting to see some guys drag or push against the shift a little bit more because it still boils down to scoring runs, right? I mean, Greg, I was, it, it doesn't matter how you're scoring runs. You're just trying to score runs. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to be measured with what direction that scoreboard's tilted. So you're right. I mean, how Jeff, you get there, you know, how you get there, I guess, is a there's some philosophical differences, probably from organization to organization, but across the board, I think, you know, Major League Baseball has made it a point. You know, they want, you know, they want fans involved and invested in, in what baseball is doing. They want it to be exciting. They want to continue to make it the most exciting sport out there. And how do they do that? You know, I think there's, you know, a, a, a long list of folks that are, are probably working on that right now in New York City at the baseball headquarters to, to try to fix that. Jeff, has it changed much for you? I mean, you always did a great job of just keeping things simple when we would get our hitters and, and not not tweak a whole lot, too. I, I, again, I apologize as a young assistant. I was probably too gung-ho trying to, to help guys, and, and my heart was in the right place, but I probably learned that from you more than, than anything, besides being a great person, and you have to be a great person, but trying to keep it simple, I probably overcomplicated the process at that time. Has it changed much for you from, from where you started to where you're at now with dealing with hitters? Well, first of all, please do not apologize. All right. <laughs> and you, uh, hey, by the way, you had to coach me as a player too. So like you got it on both ends. You had to deal with me as a player and also as a young true, assistant who didn't true, know much. You know, sometimes I've forgotten that, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I, I just think once again, you know, it's kind of a trickle-down effect where, uh, you know, the money uh, affects kids' thinking, um, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, if you can get them to understand the significance of playing the game as a teammate, uh, doing the things from a baseball standpoint to execute, moving runners, uh, you know, getting a guy in from third base or less than two outs, you know, doing all the little things that, that matter as a team offensively, uh, you know, I think those things are really, really important. And I think, you know, uh, you know, let's face it, younger guys, look at the guys that are at the top. And uh, I think, you know, uh, it will shift that. You know, as Brian said, it, it will come back to what, you know, um, to what it was. And uh, look at all of <laughs> I always talk to our kids here, you know, at, at the gunnery, uh, you know, and I say, you know, Frederick, uh, I'm sorry, Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, you know, all those guys, they didn't know about launch angle, but they hit balls in the seats. They also hit a lot of line drives, you know. Uh, you know, they did things that, you know, they need. They knew they needed to do to be a good hitter. You know, the bat stayed through the zone, as Brian said. 
you know, and, uh, well, you know, Brian talked about a to B to C to D. It's the same thing with your evolution as, as a hitter. Look at Tony Gwynn, look at Barry Bonds. They were line drive hitters as young hitters. And then as they got older and learned their swing and learned what they could do a little bit more then the power came later. And I think it's the same thing that you see with young coaches trying to jump jump the line. You see the same thing with hitters now. They're trying to jump the line instead of worried about just having solid contact. They see what they see on TV, so they think they have to do that. Well, an 18-year-old kid's not ready to do that. You know, a 22-year-old kid probably isn't ready to do that, unless they're really special. You look like Soto and Harper and some of those guys, but those are elite talent. Tatis Jr., those are elite talent guys. Everybody else, you can't jump that process. Yeah, that's well said. Bo, you want to talk about the East Coast Pro a little bit? I mean, I, I think, you know, we're, we're starting to lose a little bit on maybe that side, but you're on the board of directors for the East Coast Pro. Do you want to talk about the East Coast Pro a little bit? Yeah, it's a, you know, event that's on the Eastern Sips, basically some Midwest kids. Um, most of it's done on the Eastern Seaboard, all the way from Puerto Rico to Maine. And uh, it's picked by scouts. Um, scouts put the teams together, you know, based on talent, the talent that's, uh, available in their certain regions. You have the Northeast team, you have the mid Atlantic team, you have a Georgia team, you have a Gulf States team, you have an upper Midwest Ohio Valley team, uh, six teams sponsored by Adidas. And, uh, it's a very, very good educational way into which kind of leads into it's four days of, of those kids kind of being to play against the same type talent and uh, kind of sets them up for hopefully future Cape leaguers, you know, if they end up going to school or signing. But there's an incredible amount of guys who have signed and gone on to have great pro careers out of that event. It's a lot of education put on by scouts and, uh, you know, Major League Baseball and, Everybody else has done a great job, and we just wrapped up our 25th year anniversary last year of the East Coast Pro, and and to see the type of talent that's gone through there, and even guys that have gone to college. I mean, just one off the top of my head, Buster Posey. You know, he played for me when we were still at Wilmington, and I was working with the Marlins. But, uh, you know, you get to see these kids grow, and you get to see them take off in their own careers, and you get to find out a lot about who they are because they got to get up every day just like they do on the Cape. And they have four days where they got to grind it out and do the best that they possibly can. Jeff, what about Peter Gammons? Uh, you know, I, I think that's the thing that's sad for me now is that, that kids that are paying attention to baseball because he's not as active now. I mean, I still have my framed picture that Bo set up for us when we were at Falmouth behind me. I have two pictures, my state championship picture and then my signed picture with Peter Gammons behind me but can you talk about Peter a little bit uh well he's another great person you know and I think um a guy who again is an example of his heart being in the right place uh you know I think I've always looked at Peter and and I always look forward to talking with him and you know I consider him a, a, a good friend um but he's always always I think got players trust uh, because he's going he's gonna to write his stories. He's going to, you know, uh, talk about them in a manner that's positive, uh, you know, and if he does, you know, break it down from an analytical standpoint, it's always done in a positive way. 
been a big thing with him. Not only does he love the game, obviously, I mean, talk about a passion, but, you know, he'd be the first to say he's doing exactly what he hoped that he would be able to do in life. And, uh, but, you know, he's, he's created an atmosphere anytime he walks into a park where players know I can trust that man. And uh, I think that's, that's a, a pretty awesome statement to be able to say that, you know, players trust you and trust what you do. And uh, he's an epitome, he is the epitome of that. Greg, you're doing some fundraising for cancer research right now. Do you want to go into that a little bit, please? Sure. Um, uh, <clears throat> thanks, Ryan. That's uh, Versus Cancer Foundation. It was uh, an organization that we have been involved with at Holy Cross for a number of years. And uh, I've continued that with the Indians. I'm the national co-chair for, you know, the, all the coaches throughout the country. So I had asked them, you know, it's mostly college folks. And I had asked, you know, I took the job at the Indians. I had just been named the national co-chair and I said, it's okay if you want to switch gears and put somebody else in. And they asked if I would still do it. And, and I have, so I, I linked up with one of our current players in the Indians organization, uh, Shane McCarthy, and we created a page and, you know, I think we raised $15,000 in maybe a week for, uh, for pediatric brain cancer uh, work in the Versus Cancer Foundation. So it's been great, um, fantastic organization. Really, again, it's about giving back and, and making sure that uh, at the end of the day, you're, you know, it's men and women for others. And that if you're doing this for the right reasons, your players know it, people around you know it. And again, if I'm in an opportunity, have an opportunity where I can continue to give back and, and help others, uh, I'm going to do that every day of the week. And it also hits home, too, because Jeff's gone through treatment. Jeff, do you want to just touch on that a little bit? Because we do have coaches that, that do have to go through treatment. Can you touch on that a little bit, please? Uh, well, I'm actually, um, you know, I'm in my sixth year of treatment. Um, you know, it's been hard. It's been hard. It's an emotional ride. And uh, you're going to get me emotional, Ryan. Well, and I, I, I knew when – because you're so positive, and I think that's a key to, to – I don't think you're not going to beat it, but to staying with it and, and riding the ups and downs of it because you are such a positive person, I think that's a, a great story for people to hear because you've been dealing with it for a while, but you've stayed positive through it, and you know I think that's a huge part of it. Well, you do, you do your best, and, and, I, and I'll be perfectly honest. My wife, Patty, I don't know what I'd do without her. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, they – you know, the people are called caregivers. Well, she's like caregiver a thousand times over, you know, uh, you know, she's my support, my, my rock. And, uh, you know, she's just, she's been phenomenal again. You know, I use that word a lot, but I'm blessed to be able to use that word with so many people that I know. Uh, but you know, it, it's been difficult. I mean, I, I always go back to the, the day that I was diagnosed and it was like, I got run over by a truck and I, I just sat there, I swear, for about a week and felt like I couldn't move. And uh, I think the thing that happens is that at first you don't want to talk about it. You just don't want to acknowledge it. Uh, but then, you know, as you go along, you start talking about it. And, uh, you know, it's not like you start the conversation about it. But when someone asks you about it, you will talk about it. And, uh, you know, it, it's... We've all lost, I think, uh, people that we love and, and family members to this dreadful disease. It's a, 
it's a horrible disease. You know, uh, Patty's nephew um, lost his wife. You know, they have four young sons and uh, they all love baseball. You know, they're all baseball players. And uh, her nephew lost his wife and, and their mother a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, the Cape League is actually going to do something, uh, you know, to help his foundation. You know, it's uh, called the Fierce Foundation. And uh, so it just touches so many people. And uh, but you, you know, like you said, you got to try your best to stay positive. I know Chuck Sturdivant is another person. And, you know, I hope he doesn't mind me bringing this up. But, you know, he's gone through, uh, you know, his battles. And that's always been his thing. You know, hey, you got to stay positive. You got to keep believing. And, uh, you know, so it's guys like you, you know, uh, you, Ryan, and, and Greg, and Bo, and everybody in your life that you love makes a difference. I'm going to swing it back to baseball now because, and I never saw, well, I saw Greg in camps throw BP, but Jeff and, and Bo are two of the best BP guys that ever been around. And, and Bo talked about throwing a fungo or hitting a fungo too. Bo, and I'll throw it to you first. What are some keys? Because I get that question a lot from young coaches. What are some keys to, to hitting a good fungo and throwing good batting practice? There well, we the go. key, there's a the lot key of to hitting. Would have liked to yeah. have muted Bo, believe me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, very well said there, Jeff. Uh, but, uh, you know, the key is the practice, right? So it's like anything you have to practice. But if you're not good at either one of those and batting practice being the first one, if you're not good at throwing batting practice, you're not going to be in the game very long. And, uh, you know, you can see a lot. And I know Jeff could probably go on to this. You can see a lot on a kid from day to day. If you throw as much batting practice, you can write a lineup pretty easy. Even kids that are you know, hot one day, the next day, you know, it might just be a little stiff and you can move them around the lineup and, and, uh, but you know, a lot of it's practice. I mean, you and you were a catcher practice. too. I mean, I, I, that for me, that was a common theme with guys that were really good is probably caught along the way. And coach Trenny, I never asked you if you caught it all, but I mean, Jeff, what were your keys? I mean, you were good. You're so solid, and, and it was always right where it needed to be. I was a guy that had to work at it, and it took me a long time to figure things out. But, um, I mean, what were your keys? Because it was always good. I, you know, once in a while, somebody will still come up and talk about me throwing BP. Uh, oh, and by the way, you never threw when I was a player. We had, I can't remember the assistant that would try to break our bats at Katuit. Because I think you were, you were like back and forth that summer in 96. So you were there sometimes. I, you would have made me look much better as a hitter than, than our BP guy that was trying to break our bats. <laughs> no, I, hey, I enjoyed doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I really think with me, it came from being a little kid and just always throwing a baseball. Uh you know, I would do anything. I grew up in, uh, you know, rural Maine <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had to be creative. I, I, you know, would throw a ball against the side of a building and do it constantly. And I, and I think as you do that, I think you start to have a feel for what you have to do to throw the ball in a certain spot. And, uh, you know, I always felt like BP or I trying to, you know, yes, have a guy look good, but at the same time, have them be able to work on things. And, you know, uh, I think Bo just said it. I mean, it, it's, it's such a good perspective to be able to look at hitters doing that. You know, you see things from that angle that you don't necessarily see standing behind or standing to the side. 
And uh, that's I why I like to catch in bullpens too. I, I thought you could see much more from the pitcher when you were when you were back there catching bullpens. That's also a funny story from that summer. Coach Trenny had this bright idea to we had a left-handed bullpen catcher, but the, the problem was he never wanted to catch bullpens. So I would catch the side sessions for Bo when he's working with pitchers in the Cape League, you know. So because our bullpen catcher never wanted to catch bullpens. <laughs> Bo, I think that was your call, wasn't it? Having a yeah, a bullpen catcher yes. that didn't want to catch bullpens. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, that was another one of mine that I wish I'd have muted myself when I came up with that guy. I mean, Greg, what are you seeing for you guys now? I know BP has changed a little bit. There's so many theories on it. You know, it, do we roll the machine out there and, and see game velocity and game breaking balls? Do we try to get guys out in BP? We, you know, we, we've changed so much in 22 years of doing it where we did have some feel good and work on some thing rounds, but then we had, you know, five minutes at the end where our BP guy was actually trying to get guys out. So, I mean, we tinkered with a lot of things what what are you guys trying to work on with your batting practice now yeah i mean i would say you guys were probably ahead of the curve back then you know in, in doing it that way those are things that as, as you referenced before Thule, um you know a lot of a lot of new ideas throughout the course of bp so your standard if you would have taken a 20-year hiatus of going to baseball games and show up today i think you'd see a it'd be a markedly different um for that hour or so leading up to the game so yeah there's I think there is a time to feel good I think there is a time where you know we're you're putting the baseball where you need to but there's a lot of machine stuff there's a lot of off-centered uh, work that takes place there's a lot of firm BP um, there's a lot of random style of, of batting practice I think that that really helps our players make those uh, in-game decisions in such a short amount of time so you can replicate that beforehand and you're hoping to prepare them for the three hours when the lights are turned on at seven o'clock. So, um, yeah, and just, just again, just given as realistic looks as, as possible, I think is something that we, you know, that I've seen. Again, I'm not in the hitting department per se, but um, I'm seeing new things again with my first real full season, you know, on the field. I'm, I'm starting to see some some new things that I haven't seen before either. Okay, I, I go ahead, Jeff. I have to mention something. I have to write here. Anytime anybody talks about BP, Yancey Ears comes to mind. And uh, he had one summer that he was uh, coaching with us on the Cape, and he threw every single batting practice. And you couldn't, you couldn't not let him throw batting practice. I mean, he would have beat you with a fungo. Uh, he, <laughs> he was just adamant that he was going to throw. And I remember there was one day where he had to go pick up uh, his wife or something at the airport and we were playing at Brewster. And so I started throwing that BP and he got there about 15 minutes after BP started and he was so upset. He ran out there without even warming up and took over the BP. And he, he threw BP every single day. And uh, Yancey, of course, is having a great career as a scout and, uh, you know, just another great person, uh, you know, that's, I've been fortunate to call a friend. All right. Everybody has to answer this question because I ask it of everybody. It's a fail forward moment. Do you have a fail forward moment? Something that you thought was maybe going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was maybe one of the better things that happened to you. Coach Trundy will go with you, then Bo, and then Greg. Well, you know, you guys brought it up. You know, the, the time that I was, you know, let go, whatever you want to call it, 
uh, you know, from the Falmouth position. For, once again, for a couple of weeks, I was, you know, didn't think that I was going to be coming back to Falmouth. And and um, what really went through my mind again was all the people that I wasn't going to be able to see and be around. Um, but then what happened was, uh, thanks to so many good friends, you know, Greg talked about it and, you know, so many people rallied behind me and it, and it just made a big difference, I think, uh, with me going forward. Uh, I kind of felt um, I think I still have it somewhere. I'm sure I do. But, you know, Greg reference to the text and the, the emails and the, and the letters that were written. And I kind of felt like I died, to be honest, because <laughs> it was like reading all these things, uh, you know, that uh, I probably in some ways shouldn't even been reading, but made me feel good that, you know, people wanted me to be able to, to be back. And uh, so I think that was a big moment. Uh, probably this COVID shot I just got. But uh, <laughs> um, honestly, was uh, getting fired, I would say, by the Braves after the amount of hard work that the staff had put in. I always prided myself on working as hard as I can for whatever team or working for Jeff or whatever I did in the game, I wanted to be the best that I possibly could be at. And sometimes things are out of your control and you have to learn from that. Sometimes you're going to lose your job for something you, you know, might not even be your call or it might be somebody hires call or they want to make a total change based on things that have happened. And it's out of your control. And, um, you know, for Farhan and the giants to, catch me when I fell and it being during COVID and the giants being the family organization that they are and the ownership and the leadership. I've been very fortunate to, uh, you know, we all know Michael Holmes. You guys have a lot of history with Holmesy and he kind of caught me when I fell. And, uh, that was probably, you know, when you want to talk about crying in your Cheerios and all those other things, it was, a very humbling experience for me to go through in my career because honestly, you know, in 20 years of scouting, I'd never been fired and anywhere I ever left, I left on my own. And I always said that I never wanted people, you know, you know, chunking knives at me on the way out the door. I always wanted them wishing I wouldn't leave. And uh, that was something that drove me and, you know, again, it's about the people. It's it's not about yourself and leaving a lot of good people over there in Atlanta and and uh, and missing those guys when I was gone. But to have Farhan and and Michael Holmes pick me up is probably, you know, and I did pout a little bit for about a year and didn't work the way I normally work. But uh, I'm back to myself and and, uh, you know, digging back in and doing everything I possibly can. Greg, what about you? Do you have a fail forward moment? You know, I, right, I was thinking about that, and I, for me, I, I think the, the one thing that just keeps coming to mind is more of a probably a, a forward forward moment. I had an unbelievable experience at Holy Cross, um, got to work with and for some fantastic individuals, and you know, probably could have stayed there for a really long time. And when the Indians opportunity presented itself, you know, for any young person out there. You know, I've, I've, any of my former players, uh, I've always talked about taking chances and taking risks and 
um, taking a chance in yourself and believing in yourself. And when that opportunity came, came up, it was really my, you know, my wife, Cleo, who was like, you need to do it. You need to try it. You, you talk all the time about taking chances and taking risks. Um, try it. And I remember sitting with, to be honest with you, the, the guy on the screen right here, uh, Coach Johnny and I sat and we talked in, in Connecticut at length uh, about that opportunity before I had to make that decision. And it was about taking a chance on myself. And yes, I might fail. You know, there, there's a chance I could swing and miss. Uh, I could show up tomorrow at the yard and my locker could be cleaned out. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and I had that safety net of Holy Cross, but I believe in myself and I work really hard and, and there's no ulterior motive for me. It's, you know, tomorrow's the most important day in my coaching career and fall by the next day. And the players need that. And again, from a financial standpoint, we talked about not doing this for money, but every job I've taken uh, or have had the opportunity to accept, I've taken a pay cut and a significant one at that. So from St. Lawrence to Northeastern to from Northeastern to Holy Cross as a division one head coach, uh, I'm at 30 years old, making $27,000 a year in 2008, um, you know, to, to my job here with the Indians, it, it, it was always about taking, believing in yourself and for the opportunities that, you know, might, might come with that and the opportunities that, you know, you maybe haven't had a chance to do before. So at 45 years old, I didn't know how long that window was going to be for me. Uh, so I, I took a chance and we'll see where that goes. I'll wind up I'll probably being found with at some point in the next summer, you know, <laughs> my locker's, Coach, if my locker's cleaned out tomorrow, I'm coming to family, just so you know. I'm going to look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, final, final thoughts here. You know, we'll go back around the horn. We'll keep the same rotation. But final thoughts or favorite memories or anything you want to want to kind of fill in the, the gaps here at the end here, Coach? <laughs> my final thought right now would be spending the morning with you guys. Uh, you know, seriously. I, I You three are, are – friends that, uh, you know, I can't even describe how much you guys have meant, uh, to me during my life and, uh, to be able to just sit here and talk and at times rehash some old times and have some laughs and but at the same time, some heartfelt, um, stories, uh, this is, this is pretty special. And, uh, you know, it's just, once again, shows, uh, to me how this game is really about people and uh and how blessed i am to to be able to have friends like you guys and uh i love you all Bo, yeah i would say uh you know it was an honor for you to reach out to me to be on here with jeff um you know he's definitely a guy that's impacted my life and to hear the stories that you know we bring up arnie and god rest his soul and I remember we were at Katuit. I think Jeff got kicked out, and then I kind of prompted Arnie to get kicked out. Do you remember that, Jeff? Yeah, I remember it well. Yeah. Yeah. Then the commissioner comes by the next day and goes, how in the world did Arnie get kicked out? And I think Arnie was still fired up about it from the – the day before, but you, you his dauber was all. down. Arnie came to the ballpark with his tail between his legs that next day. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so it was, uh, you know, just the experiences and and everything that's led me to where I am today. And and Ryan, you know, we've I mean, 
I've seen you more in the last 12 months than I had, and I don't know how many. I mean, I would see you at PG National throw BP, and we didn't run in the same circles. But, yeah, I've seen you at Wake Forest uh, twice here in the last 12 months, which has been phenomenal. Yeah, it was great. And we, you know, talked back and forth on text messages of players you've seen or run across. And, you know, Greg, I want to wish you all the best. I'm sorry about the COVID situation. It kind of impacted all of our lives. And, and uh, I wish you the best with the Cleveland Indians. I have a lot of good friends over there and they do an outstanding job. And I think you'll learn. I mean, you're going to learn and grow from that and continue on a good career. I know how much Jeff, you know, talked about you. And, and you know, again, you know, Ryan, thanks for the opportunity. Jeff, I love you to death. And good luck this summer. Greg, finish this off. I mean, I, Ryan, thanks for having us in the ABCA and, and the newest member of the ABCA, uh, Jeff Trundy. Fired up to have you part of the organization. Can't wait to see you in some of the conventions now. It's going to be great. I, my final story, to be honest with you, was in that Cape League championship with all those aforementioned players, the Cliffy Penningtons, Jacobys. I was I was ejected, so we're talking about ejections. I guess Bo brought that up. I, I was dumped in maybe the fourth or fifth inning of the Cape League championship, and I'm in the clubhouse, you know, still pissed. <laughs> about 20 minutes later, who comes walking in the door but Coach Trundy? He got dumped shortly thereafter. And there's no better, no other person that I'd want to – if the ship is sinking, there's nobody else I'd like to sit right next to and, and, and be there with and, and you, buddy. So yeah. – Again, I love you. Um, super impact. I mean, I wouldn't be here today. I really wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for you. Uh, and you know that. I've told you that a thousand times, Patty. So thank you so much for everything you've done for all of us and for Nance and Forbesy and Landry and the rest of the Commodore coaching staff and the crew that we've had over the number of years and the players. Um, you're the best. and Everyone knows it. Yeah, same sentiments, Jeff. I love you. Uh, it's been a great friendship, and uh, look forward to continuing the friendship. But thank you guys very much. This was awesome. Be an unbelievable resource. But thanks for taking the time. I know you guys are swamped right now and got a lot going on, but I appreciate you guys jumping on with me. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, everybody. You guys are the best. Yep, love you guys. I had so much fun getting together with these three. Uh, it's amazing how many lifelong friendships that are developed through the game. Coach Trundy's made a huge impact on my life. Treats people the right way, and he's very humble. I'm grateful to have all of them in my life. Brian and I developed a special bond working together those two summers. Greg and I developed a friendship through our common bond of coaching for Jeff, even though it was at different times. I hope this episode shows how many different journeys there are available in the game, and if you treat people the right way, good things will happen for you. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Kale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at coachb underscore abca, Instagram at ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.